Open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 9, verse 57. I'd like to welcome everybody to our worship service this morning. And we're going to read verses 57 through 62 this morning. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And he said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And he said also, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put in his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. If you would, open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 9 once again. Father, as we look in your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. You would encourage us through your word. You would challenge us through your word. But most importantly, you'd bring us closer to you. May we become more like Christ from looking in your word this morning. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So how many of you have ever bought a car? Anybody here ever bought a car? Yeah, a lot of you. That's quite an experience, buying a car. Uh, years ago, when I had a, was leading a group at Willowbrook, uh, the guys in that class, we all decided to see how frugal we, we could be, so we had you know the kind of running joke, who had the oldest car? So we'd have one good family car, but then the guys would drive old beaters. And I think I led that. I had a Camry that had 252,000 miles on it. But some of the guys were close behind that. They had some old beaters, too. And eventually I had two old beaters, so I had to buy a car. And years ago, about 10 or 12 years ago, I got this tremendous deal on a car. I was very frugal, so I went on Auto Trader, and I kept looking and looking and looking, and I finally found this deal that was too good to be true. I found this car that was almost brand new. It only had about 7,000 miles on it, but it was like $10,000 under Blue Book. But it was in Memphis, so I don't, I don't know. There's got to be something wrong with this car. So I went to Memphis, drove all over Memphis, got this car, you know, got it for $10,000 under what it listed, and it was like brand new car. Of course, they were trying to sell me the extended warranty, you know, $1,500 for a two- or three-year extended warranty. I said, nope, I'm going to drive this thing till the wheels fall off, and then I'll get another, but I don't need any warranty. It was interesting because a week after I bought it, in the mail, I got a seven-year, 100,000-mile warranty free because it was a certified pre-owned Toyota. And I always wondered if I had bought that $1,500 warranty, if they'd given my, my money back on that, you know, after I closed the deal. I don't think they would. But what I found just recently I had to buy another car is, and I hate doing this because there's always the hidden cost. Have you ever noticed that? You look online and you see this price on this car and you go there to buy it and all of a sudden there's all these hidden costs. This one I recently bought, I went to the dealer and they had an $895 restoration fee. Now, I don't know what that was. I've never seen a restoration fee before, but it was an old car, a 10-year-old car. I, I don't know. Maybe they were going to make it, like, new again for $895. Of course, I didn't pay that. I, you know, when I saw they'd added about $1,500 in fees, I just said, I'll think about it. And then when I told them I decided to go with somewhere else and buy another car, those fees magically disappeared. All of those $1,500 of fees, they just went away. 
Hidden cost. I remember I was looking at one dealership online, and they had you know, a good price on a car, but then they sent back and it had like $3,000 worth of extras. And they had $500 for four mats. Now, now, sometimes I get a little facetious. I had to ask that guy online, what kind of floor mats are those? I said, I've been alive, I've been driving for 50 years now, or almost, and I don't think I've spent $500 on floor mats in my whole life. What kind of floor mats do you have? But hidden cost. Aren't you glad our Savior, when he called us to follow him, there weren't any hidden costs? He told us right up front what he expects of us and what it means. In life, a lot of times there are hidden costs, but with our Savior, there are no hidden costs. He calls us to be his disciples. Now, there's a big debate in Christianity today whether you can be a believer and not be a disciple. Some people say, well, you can be a believer in Christ but not really a follower of Christ. And other people say they go hand in hand. You can't be a true believer without being a disciple, without being a follower. Well, we're not going to settle that debate this morning. But I can tell you this morning, what does God expect from us? What does he command us? And that is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not just a believer, but a follower of Christ. That's what God wants. In this passage, we see that. Before we get into this passage, I want to set the context. Because I think context is always important in this passage. In the context of this passage, if we go back a little bit in time we'll see that Jesus had sent the twelve out on their first journey to go out and share the gospel on their own. He stayed back and prayed for them, and he sent them out to do ministry and preach the gospel. And when they came back, he told them, he said, let's go over across the ocean to a deserted place because we need to rest. We're going to go over there and rest. You're going to rest, and we're going to debrief you and give you time to be refreshed. And we find when the crowd saw where he was going, they all took the long route and went around by land, and got there late in the day, thousands of them, probably twenty or 25,000 people, to this deserted place. And that's where he fed the 5,000, or as we really think, probably twenty or 25,000. So then we saw that Jesus sent the disciples back in a boat to go back to Capernaum. And in the middle of the night, they, they rode all night trying to go this four miles. And he's up in the mountain praying. He comes walking to them on water and really reveals to them who he really is. Right after that, we see Peter's confession. That he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And then we come to the transfiguration. Where Peter, James, and John are call, taken up with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then we see that he tells them finally of his coming death. In chapter 9 and verse 43 it says this. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all things Jesus did, he said to his disciples... Let these words sink down into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them, and they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. It didn't compute with them what Messiah was really coming for the first time. Their visions were still visions of the kingdom, of Christ ruling and reigning. You say, well, how do you know that? Because right after that, they got into a big argument about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. See, their theology wasn't fully developed. They knew Messiah was coming to rule and reign. They had missed the part about Messiah coming to suffer and die on the, sin, um, on the cross for our sin. So one of the other things we see in this passage was that after the feeding of the 5,000, Christ goes across the ocean and the crowds follow him the next day. And he has a confrontation with them. 
really his followers. And it says after Jesus tells them, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. You must fully ingest me as salvation. It says that from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. John chapter 6. The construction of the Greek language makes it look as though they never walked with him again. They left. They went back. So Jesus now comes to a turning point. In verse 51 of this chapter, it says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now this was about six to nine months before his actual crucifixion. But he knew at this point in time that he had to pour into his disciples and he had to prepare them because he knew at this time, I'm, I'm getting ready to go. I'm getting ready. I'm preparing to go die on the cross. And so what we see in these next few chapters is Christ calling his disciples to go deeper. He's asking them to go all the way with him. And so the, my question this morning is how far are we willing to go being disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? And what is it that hinders us from really following him fully? That's a question you've got to ask yourself. And we ask ourselves more than once. Because what I've found in ministry is people are willing to go different levels at different times with Christ. Some people are just willing to come to salvation. And they come and they follow Christ. They believe in him for salvation. They trust him for salvation. But that's kind of where they're stopped. They're just babes in Christ. And they're not willing to take another step. They're not willing to go further. Now, we could debate whether or not they're really saved. I don't know. But I know that's not where Christ wants you to stay. A babe in Christ. As Dan Spader says, there's four levels. There's lost, and then there's a new babe in Christ. And he said, what we've done in the church is we've made barker lanterns for those people. You know, big chairs so they can just sit in there. And we cater to them and try to keep them. And they stay babies. We don't ever get them to chair three and chair four, which is finally maturity, because we've catered to that a lot of times in the church. And that's kind of true. Even sometimes in the way we present the gospel. Sometimes we present the gospel kind of like used car salesmen. We don't tell them about the hidden costs because we just want them to come to Jesus. If we can just get them to believe in Jesus. But when I see Jesus talking to people, that wasn't what he said. I challenge you to look at every time he confronted someone. It wasn't just believe in me and you'll be okay. He always had something. I want you to do this. I want you to follow me fully. I want you to sell everything you've got and follow me. Told the rich, rich young ruler. See, when Christ calls us to follow him, it's not just to become a believer. It's to become a disciple. And so people are willing to go different levels. And sometimes they'll get stuck at a place. And they stay there for a while. And then they'll make a deeper commitment to go deeper. Maybe they're a new Christian and, and, and they've not been involved in a, in a Sunday school class. So they'll say, well, we need to know more about the Bible. And they'll do that. And, and they'll, do, they'll start taking steps to move. And that's where we should be moving. We should be moving. And then eventually they'll say, you know, I need to be giving at church. We've never given before, but I'm going to start giving. So there's steps of growing in your commitment to Christ. So what we see is Christ as he's walking on the road going to Capernaum. that some people come up to him and he has some conversations. Of course, the disciples are with him, and I want to look at this passage this morning. It says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now we know from Matthew's gospel that this someone was a scribe. 
It said a scribe came up to him and said, Lord, I will follow you. So what do we know about scribes from, the, from that day? Well, scribes produced the legal documents, recorded deeds. They could act as notary publics. They were court secretaries. And although some of them copied down scriptures, that wasn't necessarily all of their job. At that time, scribes were considered almost the lawyers of the day and judges. In fact, they could be elected to the Sanhedrin, which was kind of like the Supreme Court of the day in the nation of Israel. They were a very educated man and highly influential. So scribes were kind of like the upper crust in the Jewish society. And they were usually very well off. They were doing good. They were living the good life. So this man, this scribe, comes up to Jesus and says, You know what, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' response to him is kind of shocking. He says, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Why did Jesus say such a thing to him? (laughs) Seems totally out of character. Well, the Lord knew where his heart was. And the Lord knew that this man said, I'll follow you. But he knew his heart wasn't in the right place. And he knew this man had not counted the cost. This man was probably thinking, here's the Messiah. He's going to set up the kingdom. I'll follow him because that's, that's the place I want to be. That's going to be the place of blessing, the place of honor in the kingdom of the Lord as he establishes his kingdom. But the Lord knew that he had a lot of stuff in his life. A lot of material possessions. He was living the good life. And so he told him, he said, if you're going to follow me, remember this, I have nothing. Flip over to uh, Luke chapter 14 real quick. Luke chapter 14 and verse 28. I want to read this passage to you. This is continuing in Christ's teaching about discipleship. In verse 28 of Luke chapter 14, he says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Least after he's laid the foundation, it is not a... And is not able to finish. And all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, but was not able to finish. This man had not counted the cost of what it really means to follow Jesus completely. And it meant that this man had things in his life that he was not willing to give up. And Jesus knew that. He knew that this man was coming to him and saying, I want to follow you for the wrong reasons. A lot of times people follow Christ for the wrong reasons. You know, it's, nearly every believer is enthralled by the idea of following Jesus completely. That's kind of a novel idea. You want to follow Christ, I will follow you to the death. Yeah. People, they, they think that and they, and they get these visions in their minds of how wonderful that is going to be to follow Jesus completely. But few want to be made uncomfortable. The road is narrow and costly when it comes to following Christ. It's going to cost you. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, it's going to cost you. What's it going to cost you? Well, in essence, everything. To really follow Christ fully, you need to be willing to give up everything. Now, does that mean God is going to ask you to give up everything? No. But it all needs to be laid on the altar of the Lord. It's yours, Lord. We need to hold on to things in this life loosely. We need to give them to the Lord. Because in essence, they are His. And so this man, he had a lot of stuff, but he really wasn't willing to lay it on the altar for the Lord. He had not really counted what it was going to cost. And Jesus answered him in a shocking statement says, I don't have even a place to live. 
That's what it means to follow God sometimes, to follow Him fully. So are we really, really willing to lay everything at Christ's feet? Are we really willing to follow Him all the way? Now, fortunately, He doesn't usually ask us to give up everything. But some people He does. And so we need to have that attitude that I'm willing to give it all to Christ. It's fully His. And have our eyes on the things of the kingdom of God and not this earth. I wrote this. If you are going to fully follow Jesus wherever he leads you, then I have to, can guarantee you that you will be pushed out of your comfort zone. It will cost you your time, inconvenience, service, and even your money. The Lord even asked us to help others with our money. Following Jesus and making disciples can be messy, embarrassing, and inconvenient. It's amazing how many people want to follow the Lord until it costs them some inconvenience to go do some things. I've had the, the blessing and privilege of going on Sundays once a month and ministering at the nursing home with some great people from this, this church that just have a heart for the Lord. I'm humbled to be in there, around them and, and see them minister. And this nursing home is a memory care unit, Chase Harbor. If you're interested, I'd encourage you to see if you can come and help out there too. But it's ministering to people that really nobody else really cares about. And they're, they're inconvenienced. It's their Sunday afternoon, but they're going there. And I minister with these people, and I see their joy as they lead the singing, and they minister to the people, and they talk to the people. You know, I said, the good thing about going there and preaching, though, is I can probably preach the same sermon every month, and they'll never remember what I preached last month. That's a joke. I'm glad you laughed. I don't preach the same sermon every month, but I probably could. But just seeing the joy in service. To serve the Lord, it costs you inconvenience. It costs you going there and, and ministering to people like, that, are, that are suffering with memory care issues. I remember the first week I went there, there was one lady that just walked around the whole time. You know, I had compassion on her because she'd just walk around. She'd walk right into you and just keep walking. You know. Most people say, well, why would we want to minister to those people? They can't remember because God calls us to, remember, to minister to people like that. It's inconveniencing. It's embarrassing sometimes. It's messy sometimes. Sometimes when you minister to people, they drool on you. That's what it means to follow Christ. Willing to be able to put yourself out of your comfort zone. And this man was not willing to give up his things and the Lord knew it. Look at man number two. Then he said to another, Jesus said to a man, he saw him standing, he said, Lord, he said, follow me. But the man said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now that sounds like a legitimate excuse. All right, Lord, I'll follow you, but I've got to go bury my father first. There was only one problem with that. His father was still alive. His father hadn't died yet. In Jewish culture, you had to bury them the first day. So I doubt if this man, if his father was laying dead, ready to be buried, he would be out on the road following Christ and with this throng of people. He would be back making funeral preparations. So I don't think his father was dead. And so what was this man saying? What was his excuse? His excuse was, I've got family matters to take care of. I've got an aging father, I need to be back home, I need to take care of my father, I need to be back there taking care of my family. And that sounds like a legitimate thing, but that was really an excuse. And what he was probably really thinking in his mind, Lord, I want to follow you one day, but I can't really right now because family's more important. Now, family is important, 
But family is not more important than following the Lord Jesus Christ fully and putting him first in our lives. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In another passage, Jesus was looking around at his disciples. His, uh, his family actually had come looking for him because they thought he'd lost his mind. His mother and his brothers and his sisters. And Jesus was looking around the room of his followers. And he said, you know, they came and they said, hey, your mom and your family's out here looking for you. And he said, these are my mothers and my, my mother and brother and sisters. These followers of Christ. I find today that sometimes people use the family thing uh, as a way of not following the Lord. Putting our family before the Lord. And so, we can't do that. That's a convenient excuse. Now, the Lord wants us to love our family and provide for our family, take care of our family, take care of our spouses, to honor our parents. But they can't be used as an excuse for not following the Lord. It's amazing how sometimes I see people, they get so, this almost like a fortress mentality. That they're, that they just, it's just my family. I'm going to hunker down, protect my family, not let the world influence them at all. And we're just going to withdraw and, and, and we're just going to church on Sunday mornings. But then we're just going to hunker down here because i got to protect my family from the world. And that may seem like a good thing, but you know what? It's really not what the Lord wants us to do. The Lord wants us to be brave. The Lord wants us to be courageous. The Lord wants us to interact with the lost. And if we just hunker down and circle the wagons... And we're not willing to get out into the world and meet with the world. and make, we, We're not going to make any disciples. We're not going to win anyone to Christ that way. So this man was saying, you know what? I'm going to go back home. I'm going to take care of my family. And then when I get my inheritance, and that may have been what he was really thinking about. When I get my inheritance and get everything settled, Lord, and all my family things taken care of, then I'm going to follow you. And sometimes people think that. They think, well... You know, when I get everything in order, everything set in my life just right, when everything is just right and I have the time, everything is settled and taken care of, then I'll follow the Lord. That's not the way it works. We've got to be willing to follow the Lord when He calls us to follow Him. I've seen people make this mistake, not only with their family, but with other things in their life. I've seen them say, well, you know, Lord, I would follow you and do this, but... I just don't have the time. I just don't have the energy. I just don't have the effort. But the Lord provides the energy and the effort when he calls us to do something. He goes before us and does the work in front of us. Look at Jesus' response to him. He said, follow me. And the man said, well, let, let, me, uh, let me go bury the dead. You know, let me take care of my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. See, Jesus knew something about this man. He knew that this man's family was not followers of Christ. And he knew he was going to go back and, and take care of them until his father died, no telling how many years from then. But that this family was not going to be pushing him to do the things of the Lord and behind him to do the things of the Lord. And he would never, he knew he's going to go back, he'll get that inheritance. And that's be, that'll be where he stays. But Jesus says, look, you've got to put the kingdom of God first, even above your family. Let those who are spiritually dead take care of those 
who are physically dead. You put the kingdom of God first in your life. And the Lord calls us to do that. So we can't use our family as an excuse for not serving the Lord. Now, do we need to take care of our family? Yes. He's not saying don't take care of your family. He's not saying don't love your wife. He's not saying neglect your children. He's not saying to dishonor your family and your parents. But what he is saying is don't use that as an excuse for not being involved in making disciples and in a call of God in our life. That sometimes people do. And then the third person comes up to him and says, And another said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Now this is a real spiritual answer. It sounds almost like the first guy said, let me go bury my father and then I'll follow you. This man says, I want to go back home and just say goodbye to everybody and then I'll come and follow you. But Jesus always knew what was in their heart. In 1 Kings chapter 19, I want to read you this story. This is about Elijah and Elisha. It says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me go and kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I, what have I done to you? Elijah probably wasn't having the best of days when he said that. So he says, So Elijah turned back for him and took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using his own equipment. And he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. I think this man had in his mind when he's telling the Lord, All right, let me go back and tell everybody goodbye. I think he was trying to be real spiritual. I'm going to be like Elisha. I'm going to tell him, I'm going to go back and tell everybody goodbye. But what the Lord knew, what he's really saying is, I'm going to go back, this is my excuse, and then I'm not really going to say goodbye. I'm going to go back to the way things were because that's the way I want to be. That's where I'm comfortable. And I don't want to be out of my comfort zone. Elisha was different. Elisha did go back and say goodbye. But when Elisha went back, he had a message when Elijah went back, he said, I've got 12 yoke of oxen. And he was plowing. He had the 12, which means he had 11 servants plowing with the others. He was well off. When the Lord called him, he was willing to lay it all aside. When Elijah came by and threw the mantle on him, he said, you're going to be the next prophet to Israel. He said, all right, Elijah, let me go back and say goodbye, and then I'm coming. And he did. He went home and took that 12th pair of oxen. He slaughtered them, sacrificed them. He cooked the meal. He used his own equipment he was plowing with to build the fire. He burned it all. Because he was committed to following the Lord. And he did say goodbye. He was telling those people, the Lord has called me and I'm going to follow him. I'm laying all these old things aside and I'm going after the Lord. There's no going back. And he went and followed Elijah and became his servant. And Jesus knew this man was saying, I want to follow you, but let me go say goodbye. But really, what I really want to do is go back to my old way of life. I want to go back where it's comfortable. I want to go back where my family and friends and everybody knows me. And that's where I'm going to stay. So, there's a lot of people that want to follow the Lord. They say they're, you know, that's where their heart is. But it's not really where their heart is. 
So what does the Lord really require from us this morning? What does it mean to really follow the Lord? What is Jesus really saying to us when he says, come and follow me? Well, you know, if we're going to really follow him, it means that we have to, in our hearts, be really willing, really willing to give up the creature comforts of life. This first man, this scribe that came to Christ, the things in his life, the good life, the easy life, was more important than really following the Lord. And the Lord confronted him on that and said, you know, you've got to put me above position, above prosperity, above possessions, above prestige. I don't even have a place. I'm the master, and I don't even have a place to lay my head. Are you really willing to put all that on the line to follow me and be my disciple? So, first of all, if we're going to follow the Lord, it means that following him is more important than stuff and material possessions. He's got to be first in our life. Our job, our career, all those things have to be under the umbrella of following the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to be in control of all those things. That's the way the Lord really wants it. And that's what it means to be a real disciple. Which brings us to the second point of what it means to follow him. Is to have absolute loyalty to Christ. Even over our family. I want to go back to Luke chapter 14 again. And this is a hard passage. Luke chapter 14. I didn't read this, this, these verses first. Because they're really hard to hear. This is Luke chapter 14 starting in verse 25. I started in 28 last time. This is verse 25. Some of you may have already read this, but this is really hard. It says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And he whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Does Jesus really expect us to hate our family? No. But he's saying our love and loyalty for him needs to be so strong that our natural affection for others is almost like hate. In other words, he's got to be first. We've got to have absolute loyalty to Christ in our lives. First and foremost if we're going to follow him. If we're going to be his disciple. That requires a deep commitment. And I'm going to tell you something, and this is true. If your absolute loyalty is to Christ the way it's supposed to be, you're going to love your wife if you're a man like no other. You're going to, if you're a wife, you're going to respect your, your, your husband like no other. You're going to love and disciple your children and put, pour time and energy and effort to them because Christ is first in your life. You're going to honor your parents. You're not only going to honor your parents if you put Christ first in your life. You're going to honor all older people. Because that's what it means to honor your mother and father. It's not just your mother and father. It's all older people. Especially those in the body of Christ. You show them honor. You treat them like you would your own parents. That's what it means. But our commitment needs to be to him first. And the last thing, to really follow Christ and be his disciple, we have to have an undivided heart. You cannot hold on to the world with one hand and your old way of life and Christ with the other. A lot of people do that today. They want Christ, but they want to live with a foot in each world. And when I say world, I'm talking about the world's way of doing things. 
It's amazing how many young people today come to church and say they're following Christ, and yet they're living together. You know? And that shouldn't be that way. I remember years ago when I first came to Huntsville, I'll share this story. There was a guy at work that I, that I was dealing with, and, and he finally came to Christ. And he was living with a young lady at the time when he came to Christ. And so as the weeks went by, you know, the Lord started talking to me and saying, you know, Dustin, if he's going to really follow the Lord, he can't be living with his girlfriend. And so I said, man, I'm, I'm going to talk to him Monday. I'm going to talk to him Monday. So I'm sitting in my office, and he walks in, and he sits down in the seat beside me, and he said, well, I said, we did it. I said, what did what? He said, Mary moved back home with her parents on, on Sunday after church. I said, oh, really? I said, what happened? He said, we just couldn't, we were trying to live in separate rooms and everything. And he said, well, how was that working? He said, not very good. I said, I didn't think it would. I said, that's good. Thank you, Jesus, because I don't have to, because I was getting ready to talk to you about that this morning. And he said, you know what? We're going to go to premarital counseling and we're going to get married in August and we want you to be in part of the wedding. That's when the Lord is working in somebody's heart. They knew from going to church and hearing the words about the Lord Jesus Christ that that was something they couldn't live that way. They couldn't live with one foot in the world in sin and the other following Christ. And they were totally committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So here's what I'm going to say to you this morning. How far are you willing to go? Maybe you've gone so far with the Lord, but he's calling you to go more. He's calling you to do something else in your life, and you know it. And you've made excuses. Well, I can't be involved in that ministry. I can't do this because I just don't have the time. I just don't have the energy. I don't have the effort. But the Lord is telling you, I want you to do this. You know what He wants you to do. What He's been speaking to your heart about. I'm challenging you to take that step and go further with the Lord. And when you do that, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be blessed by God. Immensely, when every time you take another step, every time you're willing to give something else, put it on the altar for the Lord, you're going to grow immensely. And you're going to be blessed by serving Him like you never imagined before. But you've got to be willing to put yourself out of your comfort zone. And when you do that, you'll find that the Lord will meet you there in an amazing, amazing way. Uh, I've made it a rule of my life if any time anybody asks me to do something for the Lord, is to consider it, to pray about it. I'll tell them, I'm going to pray about that. And I really do pray about it. And if the Lord is not convincing me in my heart, you do not need to do this, I'm going to go do it. I'll tell you, I've, I've, done, I've put myself out there a lot of times, and every time I've done that, I've found that God met me in an amazing way. I'm going to close with this story. And, and, and I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again because it's a good one. And Marshall Dykes, my professor of theology, one time said, repetition is theological glue. It makes it stick. I remember back in 2005, a guy, the youth pastor here that was ministering at Calvary, really was being used of God in a mighty way. And he wanted to take a group of high school and college students to the Ukraine on a missions trip. And so Robert came to me and he said, Dustin, would you be willing to consider going? And pray about it. I said, yes, I'll pray about it. I'll consider going. And he said, okay, well, you know you're going to have to raise support. 
And I said, okay, well, how much is it going to cost? He said, you need about $2,000. Well, I didn't have $2,000 at all at that time, so that was, that was an impossibility for me. So I said, well, I'll pray about it, and I'll send out letters. So I sent out a bunch of letters to people I know, and he called me like a, a week later. I was on the way to a business trip to Mississippi, and he said, hey, you've got nearly all the money already. And I thought, okay, well, I still need so much more. I probably That's probably all I'm going to get. I won't get enough money to go, and I won't have to go. He called me a few days later, and he said, you've got more than enough. He said, in fact, you've got so much now, we've got some we can help some of the other people. And I remember thinking, oh, no, now I've got to go. <laughs> I've got to go. That was very uncomfortable. I don't like flying on airplanes. That was a long way to fire on the airplane. We flew all the way to Amsterdam overnight in the middle of the night. Got there like 3 o'clock in the morning our time, which was 9 over there. Got on another airplane, flew, I don't know how many more hours, got to Kiev in Ukraine. Got off the plane. It was a long, long, really uncomfortable day. Very uncomfortable. You know, just being in an airplane that long and all those things. And then we drove out to the middle of nowhere a few days, a couple of days later. We drove to a little town called Zaboniv, which was about 25,000 people. And then we went to the wilderness. When I say the wilderness, we went to the wilderness. We, we, we got off the tar gravel road onto the sand road. And there were ruts and holes so deep in that road that the van couldn't get through it. I mean, there were like three foot deep holes. So the one van that Jay, uh, that you know had to go through, around into the woods, and it was pulling a little trailer behind it with all the stuff we needed in it, and tents and stuff. And so it went around through the woods, and it got stuck in the woods. So I had to get out a bunch of us. I had some new hiking shoes I'd bought, so I took my hiking shoes off, rolled my pants legs up, and I get out there, and I've got mud almost up to my knees, this black mud, this really farmland out there. And I've got axle grease now because I'm having to pull the trailer, help pull the trailer out of the woods. And I've got axle grease up to, you know, both halfway up both arms. And so we get up there to the camp. And when I say it's a camp, it's in the, it's in the middle of nowhere. There's like a little village across this little lake. And they were, they were actually riding around in, in wagons with tires on them, drawn by horses. I mean, we were that far out there. Just a little village. I don't even think they had electricity. And we go up there, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, we pull up to this campground, just tents, and I'm, I'm, we're silent. Everybody's silent in the van. I've got axle grease up here, mud up here, and I'm thinking, Lord, what have I gotten myself into? You know, I was thinking all these terrible things. I will tell you, that was one of the best 10-day periods of my life. I got down in that cold lake and got some, some kind of soap and washed all that grease and mud off. And God worked in the next ten days in some amazing ways. Was I uncomfortable at times? Yes. Yes, I was. Was the food good? No. We cooked on an old Russian army cooker that heated by wood. I remember one night we had fish soup. And there wasn't any fish in it. There was just fish bones in it. And I ate fish bones. If you ever had blood sausage, I don't recommend it. You know, but God worked. It was was I uncomfortable? Yes. Was out of my comfort zone? Yes. Was it scary at times? Yes. But God worked in a miracle ways and some mighty ways in the lives of those people in and through me. And I saw it and I came back praising God. And I want to challenge you this morning to follow Christ. Whatever he's calling you to do, be willing to step out by faith and follow him. Well, how far you've gone, be willing to go further and he will meet you there. Let's pray.
Father, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you that we've been here to worship you. And perhaps someone today has been a believer, but never really following you. Maybe they're not really a true believer of Christ, and they need to put their faith truly in you. I pray that today would be the day, if they've not repented of their sins and trusted you fully for their salvation, they would do that. And then, Lord, for those of us who maybe we've been following, but maybe we've, we've gotten tentative. Maybe we've gotten fearful. Maybe we've gotten just too comfortable. And we can make a thousand excuses for not being in ministry, not serving you more fully. There's a lot of excuses we can use. Father, I pray you break those excuses today and we'd be willing to go all the way as far as you call us, knowing that when we do, we'll be blessed beyond measure. And in eternity, Father, we will, breathe, we will glorify you because of it. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.